I sense, <clears throat> I sense revival. I'm going to ask that actually our teenagers, it looks like you guys are staying put. Some of them are being released. Um, you guys, you all hanging out in here, right? You're our youth now. You're not our preteens, right? I love it, man. I love it. They're on the front row ready to get it. You ready to get it? I'm not convinced. Are you ready to get it? Yeah. All right. Huh. I believe that God is wanting to send revival, not just on the church in America. He's wanting to send it all over the world. As Warren said, there's all kinds of stuff going on out there. And you could look at what's going on in the news and in our world and just start to get fearful and what's going to happen. And Well, actually, I'm, I'm starting to get filled with joy. When you start to see all these things, Jesus was the one that said, when you see these things start to come to pass, look up, anyone? Do I have any learned folks in the house this morning? Look up for your... For your redemption draws near. Now, we're redeemed in Christ. He shed his blood that we can be saved and, and we're redeemed, bought back. But, oh, man, when, this, when, this, when all this is over, right, and Jesus returns for his bride and receives us unto himself and forever we'll be with the Lord. Now, the beauty of it is, is that we know that this earth will be renovated with fire. Have you ever heard of that? If you read Revelation, you find out that the whole earth will be renovated with fire. So good luck with global warming. <laughs> Sometimes I think that there's a, you know, even when they want to point to that stuff, however real or, or, or uh, unreal you think some of that may be. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. All I know is they haven't been able to measure it for, you know, they're projecting back. But come on, you know, get a little over 6,000 years that you're working with. And you're trying to figure everything out that the infinite creator put into motion. Now I'm not saying that we shouldn't take care of the earth because God gave us the earth to be stewards of it. There is a balance between what you think you're going to move versus what God's doing. And I'm telling you that global warming will hit, as the book of Revelation says, and it will purge everything on this earth. What for? For it to be a new creation again. A new heaven and a new earth is what the Bible says says will happen when this age is over. I share all that because ultimately somewhere on this path that we call um, salvation, a, a walk with Christ, the New Testament, if you will, somewhere in the midst of all of that, there's a culmination of everything that Jesus said would happen, everything that God, through his word, declares is going to happen. And we can get so enamored and so caught up in this world that uh, we can start to fall in love with this world. <clears throat> and the Bible says that the love of the world is the enemy of God. The love of the world is the enemy of God. And I think it's part of our problem in this generation, and that doesn't mean that the young people, I mean pretty much everybody that is a part of this generation, is that it's been moving this direction, or can I say, We've been moving further and further from God when we ought to be moving closer and closer to God. Can you say amen? You know, so much so that, that if you preach a, a strong message and, and heaven and hell is in there and personal responsibility is in there, that what happens is, is people, well, I'm going to go find a church where they make me feel real good about myself. 
And I'm not saying we need to make people feel bad about themselves, but I got to tell you that you need to be you need to feel good about what Christ is doing in your life. And it doesn't always feel good. Young people, let me ask you a question. When your mom and dad discipline you, does that feel really good? You're just like, bring on some more. I can't wait to get disciplined just a little bit more, right? Huh? You know, I have to say that, you know, uh, when you think about the discipline of the Lord... The Bible says that he disciplines the sons, the daughters, his children. He disciplines the ones that he loves. Well, you're saying that God doesn't love everybody. No, what I'm saying is there's an exchange of love between a parent and a child. And if you will, us as his children, that that exchange that takes place to where I can receive the discipline of the Lord, understanding that he loves me, and, it, and I don't turn away from him, I turn towards him all the more. One of the things Angie and I did raising our kids as we had disciplined them is that we would, um, if we had the discipline, especially if it was corporal punishment, if we spanked them, um, you know, we didn't spank them in anger, number one. I wasn't planning on going there, but I want to say to you parents, if, if this is for you, please apply it. We never spanked our children in anger. We always made sure if they did something, look, lying, come on, cheating, certain things that have very devilish um, training to it. You start to lie. The Satan is the father of lies is what the Bible says. So lying was not tolerated. They, they didn't lie too much, but they also became sly in how they lied to us once in a while, right, baby? We found that out around the Christmas table when they were adults, talking about those times that they deceived us. <clears throat> We'd be sitting there and they'd be, hey, you remember that time? And we're like, I don't remember that time. But we'd always, you know, I'm going to cool down. I'm upset, but I'm going to cool down before I ever spank my child. Now, you may not do that, and, and I'm not going to get in a debate with you over that. The Bible says, spare the rod, you spoil the child. Well, that means I need to beat my child. No, that's not what we do. We discipline. And if it comes to that point and you need to do that, there, uh, there's, a, there's a statement that I used to make that the, it's amazing how the spine goes from the butt to the brain. Yeah, there's, there's something that goes on with all those nerve endings back there and it sends signals up that spine straight to the brain like, yeah, I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> Look, I grew up in, a, in abuse, so I'm not, I got to tell you, I'm not advocating for abuse. I, I can promise you that. There are things that, that certain disciplines register them and they become very, very ingrained. <laughs> like, I'm not doing that again. But in that, one of the things we also did is we always made sure that if we had to spank our children, they were not allowed to leave the room, and we did not leave the room until we held one another, we talked through the importance of why we did what we did, and we expressed our love for our child. And, hey, that it's an exchange of love. It's not, you know, I didn't do that, right? Parents always say, this is going to hurt me worse than you. You don't want to leave it there because the kids are thinking, that did not hurt you worse than it hurt me. You got to help them understand what you mean by how it hurts you to have to actually discipline them from time to time. That doesn't just apply to spanking your kids. That can apply to grounding. I mean, I'm telling you now, take your kid's cell phone away and you're going to find out how quick, you know, addiction can take hold of your kid, right? You remember when we actually put them on a, what was it, a month? 
a month uh, sabbatical, a month uh, fast from their phones. Lord have mercy. We locked our door at night when we went to bed. We scared them. Like, God, they're going to come in and kill us. Like little crack addicts out there, you know. <laughs> some of you folks, some people have told me, you know, like, watching like a zombie movie or something. I don't get into that stuff, but now I'm kind of like, he turned into that, man. It's like you're clawing at the door. I want my phone. I want my phone. <clears throat> but, you know, we started to watch as about three weeks in, it starts to break off of them. You know, their friends couldn't text them constantly, and that wasn't going on. And so all of a sudden, they kind of, oh, man, it was more peaceful in their life. And I remember we ended on a vacation in Florida, and we were actually walking on the beach, and we see them walking together on the beach and talking, you know, not, you know, selfieing. And I don't have a problem with it. I'm just saying that we can get so in that world that we don't experience the world around us or the people around us the way God intended us to experience them. And so understand, I'm not telling you to throw your cell phones away. I'm just saying that understand the, the power they have to, to arrest your attention consistently. To where, well, yeah, but I read, you know, I read a bunch of memes about Jesus, so that's kind of, you hearing me? I mean, you know, sharing the Gospels, if I just share those memes, that I do that stuff too sometimes. But I'm going to tell you, you've got to have interaction with people. God created you to interact with others. It's basic to our existence. And we're going to talk about going back to the basics and understanding what it is. As we wrap this series up, don't wrap it up in your life, but rather stay focused on the basics that you need. And you basically need this. You need people in your life who love you, who care about you, who can speak the hard things to you from time to time, Listen, who you can share your faults, your failings, your, why don't we just use the term that it really needs to be there, sin. You can share your sin with, and they're not going to go tell everybody else, but what they're going to do is they're going to pray with you and they're going to say, that's not okay. You know that's not okay. Yeah, I know it's not okay. That's why I'm telling you about it. Yeah, but, but I need you to know that telling me is not enough. I want to help you hold you accountable in that area so that you don't continue to do it. Because sometimes what happens is, is we, we'll accept the false comfort that comes from a friend or, or a family member because they love us. It's like, it's okay, don't worry about it. That's another reason why with my kids, I taught them growing up. Any of you ever failed your, your, your kids? Any of your parents ever failed your kids? Wow. We need a family series. I failed my kids from time to time, and what would happen is, is I would, I would fall short, I'd yell at them, or, you know, um, you know maybe I was unkind because I'm tired, and I come in, I'm like, just do it, and I go to my room, and, you know, they get that angry side of me, and I mean, you know, that's, that's not okay, right, to, you know, fathers, don't exasperate your children, in other words, don't act in anger, because what you do is you strip them of of a confidence in their relationship with you when you act that way. And so those moments where I'd feel the Holy Spirit convict me or I would, I would see their spirit fall. I would see it just, I broke them. What would happen is i come, I'm like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I don't know how many times I've apologized to my kids over the years for the moments where I fell short, I sinned. But I remember where I would go to them and I'd get on my knees and I'd just say, would you forgive me? And they're like, it's okay, don't worry, it's okay, daddy. 
I'm like, no, it's not okay. I need you to know it's not okay and that I need your forgiveness. And I don't need, I don't need you to, it's, in other words, don't feel bad that I feel bad, but rather can you accept my apology and forgive me so that that doesn't remain between us. And in that, you know, what I have talked about over the years, like, you know, uh, your kids are different than you. I, I'm different than my kids. We all have different things we want to do or different ways we think about things. But somewhere in the midst of that, you want to have a relationship where you can have conversations even when you disagree. Come on. Even when you disagree, but somehow in the midst of it, what happens is, is you can get to one another's heart. It's not easy, but it's so, so important. Same in marriages, same in friendships, it all applies. But I say that because if you really want to get back to the basics, it's basically this, is that God gave his son for you. He wants a relationship with you. And what it is, is you can get so focused on the fringe, even reading the scripture, you can get so focused on the fringe of things that what happens is you don't get to experience the blessing of what it is to be in a simple father-child relationship with God. Why do I say that? Because the Bible tells us this. This is the beauty of our relationship with Jesus Christ and all that he's done for us. That we can cry out to God, Abba. Say Abba. Which means daddy. And any father in this room, uh, any person in this room that's ever had a father that was so caring and loving and had that intimate connection that what happens is, is there's, there's a term called daddy. You know, dad, I think I might have shared this before, but it's one of the things that I love from my kids the most. Hey, daddy, you know, and I'm like, it's just, Right? We got a, there's a connection in that. When they came in and said, Father, I'm like, what do you want? <laughs> but they came in and said, Daddy, normally there was, there was a conversation that was going to take place. Times where they would even express appreciation towards their mother and I, you know, Daddy, Mommy. Or, you know, now with my grandkids, you know, when they come in and it's Papa and Mimi and you know, I asked Bella this morning who her favorite was, and she said, I love you both the same, Papa. I said, well, I got a video on my phone that says otherwise. And I didn't do it. Bella one day goes, Papa, I'll take a video of me. And I said, okay. You know, so what do you want a video? She goes, no, just take the video. And I'm like, okay. So I'm videoing us, and I'm sitting behind her. And she goes, Papa, I love you so much more than Mimi. And I hit stop, and I'm like, why would you do that? And she goes, send it to Mimi now. And I'm like, what the world's going on with this? And so I sent it to Angie and she, what is going on? And then, and I, I said to her, I said, well, Mimi, we'll be back in a little bit. So Mimi walks through the door. She goes, hey, Mimi, can we go shopping? Uh-huh. You see what's going on there? Mimi's like, yeah, because I want you to love me as much. No. That kid knew what she was doing, man. I didn't know what she was doing until that unfolded. Uh, but we, we love spoiling them. Pastor, where are you going with all this? Your love for Jesus is as basic as it gets. And I got, I got to tell you that the, the Holy Spirit in your life Jesus' love for you 
is that he gave his life for you. Now, to tie it back again to the basics of this is that it was all about God getting his kids back. It was all about God getting his family back. They were stolen from him through lies. And his son comes, and the very thing that his son does when his son ascends into the heavens, remember, he comes, he walks out his purpose in this earth, and and he's telling the disciples that he's going to go, and and they're all frustrated with it. You know, don't be sorrowful that I'm going to go, because if I don't go, right, then the Father won't send the promised Holy Spirit. He won't send the Holy Spirit. And the importance of that is this, is that he says this, I will not leave you orphans but I will pray the father and he will send the Holy Spirit and he'll be with you and he'll be in you is it and, and here's what it comes down to is it that we when the Holy Spirit comes and he fills you the Holy Spirit will come and we he says this we will come and make our abode in you abode our dwelling place watch this our home you want to know how far God is from you when you want to get close to your heavenly father you want to know how far the one who is the firstborn among many he's the son of God the only begotten but we are the children of God begotten through the work of Christ and the power of God's spirit and that what happens is is it's kind of like there's a living room going on in here where we can all go in and just hang out together father son and holy spirit that we commune You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that when God comes and dwells in you, it's as simple as turning in to pray. It's okay when we pray with one another. It's okay if we're in a service and we pray. But let me say this, that it's not about being seen in our prayers. It's about the one we're spending time with in our prayers. And all you got to do is just go in to your temple. And the presence of God is there. That here's why I say here, right? Because you think here, you have a heart, right? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The Bible says that. You think with your mind, but you also think with your heart, believe it or not. And ultimately then where the spirit dwells is the innermost part of a person's being. That Jesus said, you shall have in your belly, say belly, rivers of living water springing up into everlasting life that the spirit of God comes in to dwell and so when you begin to commune with God in your prayers and you're talking to him there is meant to be that daddy right son or daughter relationship you're not equal to Jesus but you are anointed by him because of him does that make sense to everybody I don't want anybody walking out. Pastor said, we're the same. You know, you're not, you know, there's this teaching that would go around, well, you're little gods, and you know, you're a god. It's like, we're not getting into that mess. You're a child of God. And he wants to care for you, and the greatest way he can care for you is by being in relationship with him. Because without that relationship, you have no revelation. Blessed are you. Who, who do men say that I am? Some say you're Elias. Some say that you're, the, you're John the Baptist come back from the dead. This is a question Jesus asked his disciples. Who do men say that I am? And then he says to them, who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says to Peter, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven. 
This is a revelation. It came from the Father. You know, watch this. Jesus asked the question, but the revelation came from the Father to Peter, and Peter declares who he is. That revelation of who Jesus Christ is in us is God's love for you to reveal who Christ is so that you can place your faith in him and experience the fullness of God's gift of redemption through him. And how does he cause you to live that out? By sending the Holy Spirit to lead you and to guide you into all truth as you live your life for your heavenly Father. Can you say amen to that? So I better get to my outline here because it looks like I got about 20 minutes left. Hallelujah. Are you getting what I'm putting down today? Because if you don't feel like God loves you sitting in this room today, let me wrap that part up by saying this. He does. Oh, how he loves you. And oh, how I pray that you never go a day without understanding how much God loves you. And in the midst of all of that, Yet we walk this out, and it's so, so important for us to embrace the Word of God, to instruct us and teach us so that we can follow Christ. Amen? God. Hallelujah. So back to the basics. Uh, it's an idiom. Who's heard of an idiom before? Right? Back to the basics. It's an idiom. Here's what it means. To return to a simpler way of doing something or thinking about something. I hope I've laid out a simpler way for you to pursue your relationship with God today is that is to just see it for what it is. It's not a list of rules you got to keep. Are there things that are there right and is it is right and is it wrong? You know, uh, should you do devotional? Should you read your Bible? Should you pray? That would be a yes. <laughs> but if it's just I'll check that off, I'll check that off, I'll check that off. And it becomes this um, mechanical approach to God. You're an organism. You're not a machine. And so I hope that that helps you to understand it's a simpler way to just draw near to someone that loves you so much and then to love them back. Amen? You know, it's, it's so important today because I want to emphasize that there is a simpler way to live the Christian life by getting back to the basics in Matthew 22, Jesus has, uh, he's been fielding many questions concerning his teaching. Uh, in the prior chapters to Matthew 22, what you have is you have Jesus healing, delivering, he's teaching, uh, um, casting out demons, performing miracles, revealing the kingdom of God to people. All the while, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the keepers of the law are trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to trap Jesus. They're asking him questions, trying to see if they can catch him, you know, doing something wrong so that what they could do is they can get rid of him. Amen? We know that he was innocent when he was crucified, right? And they had to set it all up, you know? They had to set Jesus up and have a, 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 a mock trial, if you will, it was a mockery of justice that took place in the life of Jesus. As we go through four cups, you're going to see this, uh, uh, this work unfold even more with the the four specific promises that come from God, the, re the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And then right up into Easter, where we'll celebrate the resurrected Lord. But to understand that, that everything that was going on there, Jesus, uh, they couldn't trap him. Amen? 
And I'll say this. How many of you saw the football game? It was a Bengals and the, um, uh, the guy who collapsed. Bengals and Giants? Was it? Bills. 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 The Bengals and the Bills. And the player for the Bills that collapsed right there on the field died. And interesting enough, the NFL, which we've watched, and, you know, it's like, kneel for the flag, you know, we don't want prayer going on, so on and so forth. What happened to everybody in that? Huh? You know, the, the players start taking a knee and start playing. People all praying. People all over the stadium start praying. They're on uh, the news and talking about, you know, we need to be praying for him. I mean, what is going on? Let me say that when God begins to move the heart of people, you can't turn it back. I don't care what your policies, I don't care what your laws. When God changes things in the earth, when he shifts, man's kind of trying to set up, here's how we're going to make this happen. Look, the devil's been working out his plan. The Antichrist spirit has been in the earth. Jesus said many Antichrists will come, but there's a day coming, come on now, where God's going to show up. And you know what? He's not willing that any should perish. So the gospel being preached us living out our relationship with God, being passionate in that relationship, real in that relationship, and not ashamed to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others because it is the power of God unto salvation for everybody else around us. And the world will try to silence you. But all of a sudden, God will move on people in calamity and in crisis, and they don't know anything else to do but to pray. They could be told all their life, don't pray, don't pray, don't seek God, don't go after God. You know, take uh, prayer and Bible reading out of schools. Let's get God out of everything and all of a sudden it gets so bad and things are so bad that people can't help but fall to their knees and seek the living God because they know that the answers do not come from man. I'm not saying that we can't solve certain problems. I'm saying that we can't solve the biggest problem of all. Jesus is the only one that's ever conquered death. And there's not a person sitting in this room hopes that their life comes to an end and there's nothing after. And that's what Jesus came to make sure you knew is that to put faith in him is to receive eternal life. That's as basic as it gets. The reason Jesus came was to make sure that you could have eternal life my goodness, do not pass up that offer because that's the best deal you're ever going to get. You don't earn it. It's a gift given by his grace and it comes through faith in who he is. Amen? But they're trying to trap him. He's, all these miracles, all these signs, all these wonders are going on. There's actually um, there's a spot there right before this that what he goes into. And, and look, I want to say this, preface it with if you've been through a divorce, I, the grace of God is so amazing to walk you through that, that you could heal and find uh, someone in your life again. I want you to know that. So there's not condemnation in this. But if you were to go back and read this story, they're trying to j trap Jesus through a question about Moses gave the law that a person could divorce. Jesus says it wasn't so from the beginning. The divorce happens because of the hardness of heart. But in, but in all this reasoning that's going on, what happens is they're like, okay, well, look, um, you know how it says in the law that if, if, a, if a man was to die, that his brother should marry his wife and, and, and that he might have children. In other words, the brother would marry the wife, the, the brother's passed, he marries the wife, and now, uh, in a sense, in his brother's place, that the, that wife could have children. But then that brother died, and then the next one, and this goes seven, but seven brothers, and it says, 
And so all of them had her, had been with her. So in heaven, which one? Come on. In heaven then, who's going to be her husband? Oh, man. Jesus lays it out and he just says, look, you're going to be more like the angels in heaven. There's no marrying in heaven. God is not the God. This is what he says to him. God is not the God of the dead. God's the God of the living. In other words, you're going to be changed and transformed and being given a glorified body. And, and those things that we do get to enjoy in this life, look, some of the things we enjoy in this life can also bring us some of the deepest pain. Amen? And let me say that heaven is not like the earth in that sense, that we're going to have purpose in heaven, but it doesn't line up and match up with everything. It's like, oh man, you know, I know my ex-wife, she, she believes in the Lord, boy, I'm going to see her in heaven. It ain't going to be like that. Like, Pastor, you don't understand. I go to a restaurant and I see that, or, or I see my ex, man, I got to get out of here. When I get to heaven, what's it going? Oh, man, I go into heaven before the throne of God. It's like, oh, they're here. I'm leaving. Can you imagine that? Could you imagine that? I mean, you know, uh, and, and, you know, we love our moms and dads. You know, there's no condemnation. But, but even for Angie and I, well, look, for our family, if, if it's that way, then all the families are gathering in heaven, and it's like, you know, Moms and dads and all of that's going on. If that's what heaven was like, here's what I got to say. With 21 divorces in their life as a whole, it, hey, don't, no condemnation to them. I love them and it's not a condemnation. I'm online here so somebody may see that. So no whistling. You know what I'm saying? No. 21 is a lot. But here's the thing. God's grace is bigger than that 21. And, 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 and then in that, if you think about it, the way that goes, then we get to heaven. Man, family get-togethers are going to be really crazy if it's the way that it is in the earth. You hear me? Heaven's not like earth in that sense. When we get to heaven, it's a far greater, far greater life than anything you'll ever have known. I say that to say that Jesus puts them in the place and and. And it says basically from that, they didn't question him any longer. You ever question somebody, you get to that point where you're like, yep. Don't want to debate them anymore. Here's what it says in Matthew 22, 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest, uh, great commandment. And the second one, uh, see, it's like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Basically, the Old Testament, everything you read that Moses gave, the law, as that progresses forward in the prophets, that everything that proclaimed what, uh, you know, remember how perfect God is, how you are to live, and the prophets that there's one coming because ultimately you can't measure up to that and he's going to come and he's going to give you the ability to live like Christ by giving you his Holy Spirit to live on the inside of you. So all the law and the prophets hang on this and so they had to keep the law and of course obey the prophets in the Old Testament and in the New Testament you just need to love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and you need to love your neighbor as yourself. Sounds easy, right? How you doing at that? How you doing at that? Warren, can we get the, those kisses? Oh, they're already out? Oh, yeah. 
uh, I got something for you. I got a kiss for you. No, you're not kissing them, brother. Uh, I'm quite certain uh, you'd be hauled out the back door. Don't eat them yet. Please don't eat those yet. See, because here's what I believe. I believe in that moment when Jesus says this, he gave everybody in, that, in, in his presence there and anyone that would come after and read his words, I believe he gave them a kiss. I believe he gave them something basic. And I'm quite certain that you've heard this before. But K-I-S-S, keep it simple, anyone? I'll, call, I'll, I'll say silly. I didn't say stupid, you did. Oh, pastor called people stupid from the pulpit. Keep it simple, silly. And in your words, keep it simple, stupid. First Peter 5.14 says this. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you, all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now their culture, they will, come here, honey. Angie likes kissing me. But the way they would greet one another and still do in that culture is they would Right? That's my son for those watching online making comments. They would greet one another with a kiss. Now, I'm just going to say our culture, it's not so much that way. So please don't come through those back doors, you know, walk up to somebody else's wife. Pastor said to greet people with a holy kiss. No. No. Right? A holy handshake is good. A nice side hug works. Right? Be respectful of people. That's not what I'm saying. But, man, could you greet one another with the kiss of just keeping it simple? Silly. Keep it simple. Have a love for God that's infectious, that, that impacts them by watching you. And have a love for other people that frees them from the things that burden them, right? Isn't that what you would long to have from other people with and around you? Is it you're not living in, in a state of constant condemnation or judgment, but rather you're living around people who are helping to lift you up to that next place in, in God and in their life. And let me say this, that I'm not talking about the weird, you know, how can we be successful and get rich and all of that kind of thing. I'm talking about just being kind and good to people to help them, right, to walk this life out better because we all deal with challenges, amen? Aristotle said this, the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. Why did I quote Aristotle? Because I believe Aristotle grabbed a hold of something that we read in the scriptures. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Examine yourselves as to whether you are, of, uh, are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. Unless indeed you are disqualified. What is that? Let me say that I don't care your sin. I don't care how far you've gotten from God. Christ made a way for you to get close to God. But if you refuse that, if you don't accept Christ and you don't accept his work as being, look, not... Well, look how hard I worked at getting here. No, Jesus did it all for me and I, I surrender to him and I yield to him. 
All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, is what the scripture says. And every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me give you a little bit about that. Every knee shall bow. I'm no longer Lord of my own life. He is the Lord of my life. I come under him and I declare him Lord. Knee shall bow, tongue confess. Jesus Christ is Lord. And all who call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, shall be saved. So here's what I want to do here. I want us to take communion this morning together. So under your seat are the communion elements. Would you pass them? And I'm going to read our next passage of Scripture. Before I move any further in this message, with everything I've already shared, if you've not in moments felt a deep invitation of love from God's Spirit to come closer to Him in relationship, then I hope this moment creates that for you. If you haven't had convictions about certain things in your life, maybe, maybe there's some things that you need to forgive in other people. Maybe, maybe there's some things that you need to have breakthrough in your own life. And I want to say that this is the part where we examine our heart as we take the Lord's Supper, his body and his blood, the the elements symbolize the shed blood of Christ and the body that was broken for him. And here's what it says now. Examine yourself, not let somebody else examine you. How are you doing in your walk with Jesus? Let the word examine you. Examine yourself according to the word. And here's what it says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven through 28. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself or a woman and see, or excuse me, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I think that one of the greatest things that that mess us up in our walk with Christ is that we get these things stored up that go against who he is. And these are the moments that we inspect those things and say, God, help me to release that. And I'll say this, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the big one. Well, I love God. It's just my neighbor, man. He's got some issues. No, no, no. God says, if you say that you love me and hate your brother or your sister, you're a liar. And so what I would say is it's so, so important for us to say, God, where am I lying to myself? It's not necessary, you can't really, I mean, you can try to lie to God, but you ain't lying to him. Come on, somebody. But you're lying to yourself. If you've got ought and you don't release that, then all of a sudden you're not loving God back the way that he loved you because you won't love those people in your life that are unlovable. Come on, right? So we move on then, 1 Corinthians 11. Let me do this. Take a moment, close your eyes, right where you're at. Yep, picture those people. Yes, your boss, it might be your employee, it may be your mom and dad, your kids, your sibling. It might be a stranger that just, you know, treated you bad. Picture those people in your life that you've been holding. You want breakthrough in your life? You want to experience God at the greatest level? Do what Jesus did on the cross. Let him go today. Let him go. 
forgive them. In the name of Jesus, release them right now. It could be an ex. I don't know where that's at, but you make sure you let the Spirit search your soul right now. Let them go today. I promise you, you'll move into places of breakthrough. So, Father, in Jesus' name, before we take communion and recognize your son's body that was broken and his blood that was shed, I pray right now by the grace of your spirit through Jesus Christ that, Father, your people would be free. Set them free from those memories. Set them free from the anxieties and the stress and the anger. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, We'll receive the elements. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, He took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So let's give life a kiss here. Can you say that with me? Let's. We'll do it out here. I'll prompt it. Let's give life a kiss. All right. A simpler way. Let's give our life a kiss with a simpler way. Number one, reach up in love for God. Reach up in love for God. Nehemiah 1.5 says, and I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Those who love you and observe the covenant is the covenant that we have through Jesus Christ and all the promises, say this with me, all the promises of God are yes and amen through Christ Jesus. Think about that. That that's his covenant to you, that all his promises are yes and amen to you through Christ Jesus. So remain in Christ so that you can experience all the blessings of God's covenant. Amen? So uh, again, reach up in love for God. 1 John four nineteen says, we love him because he first loved us. I, love, I didn't even do the work of it. It's actually God did the work of it to make sure that I could love him back. I love him because he first loved me. And he gave me that revelation of his love. How could I not love him back? Amen. And number two, uh, the second kiss we want to give, the simpler way, reach in, come on, with love for one another. Reach in with love for one another. John 15, 12 says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Simple. How do you feel like Jesus has loved you? Now, I got to say, I don't believe that I've ever really experienced the fullness of loving other people the way that Jesus has loved me. I think I strive at it. I think I try. 
There are times that I succeed at it. There's times that I fall short of it. And there's times I totally fail. Anybody else in here? Don't leave me up here alone. We all do that. We all stumble in many ways in a sense. And if you think about it, the Bible says this, that a righteous person falls seven times but gets back up. Seven times but gets back up. That's number seven is the number of God. It's the number of perfection. And it's okay if you fall, just get back up and keep moving towards God because he is the perfecter of your faith, amen? 1 John 4.11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then John 13.34-35 says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That, again, that's the same one, but let me come back around. That you also love one another. By this, say by this. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you love, have love for one another. You want to know your greatest witness to the world that doesn't yet know Christ? It's how you love each other. You got to protect that love with everything that you have. Love God and love each other and the world will encounter you as believers who follow Christ. And you know what? There's nothing but love to pour out of you. When the psalmist said, my cup runneth over, I pray that what runs over out of the members of Reach Church is love runs over into the world. I'm not talking about love that's hypocritical. I'm talking about love that is in truth. Amen? Number three, say the third kiss. Reach out to a world in need of Christ's love. Reach out to the world with the love of Christ. Why is that so important? Because... How will they know unless one tells them? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? Are you bringing good news, the news of Jesus Christ, to those around you? 1 John 3.18 says, little children, let us stop just saying we love people. Let us really love them and show it by your action or our actions. I'm going to read to you from John 8, 1 through 11. This is a story about a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And it's interesting, the happenings of this story, because ultimately, you know, it's punishment for one person, not punishment for somebody else. And ultimately, it's people judging someone for their sin when Jesus wants to forgive people's sins. Come on now. Listen to this, John 8, 1 through 11. But Jesus went out uh, to the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning, he... Uh, Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. Now I just want to know where was the guy if she was caught? Think about it. She caught in the act of adultery. Here she is. Well, where's the dude? Is he doing it by himself? Big. All right, moving on. <laughs> Somebody's been through um, classes. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Maybe I should have saved that for a time when you guys aren't in here. I know. <laughs> no, it's good for you to learn. Because you know what? You don't want the world teaching your kids about uh, sex. So, caught in the act of adultery. Where's the guy at? They don't bring the guy. Okay, lock back in. Hey. Lock back in. Yes, it's kind of funny, but I want you to hear the teaching of it, okay? 
Um, okay. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in, his, in, the, in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted, of their, uh, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw that no one but the woman, or saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Now, many it's, it's conjecture in a sense, but here's Jesus, he's on, he stoops down, he's writing, in the, he's writing in the sand. What's he writing in the sand? And in a sense, all I know is that one by one, convicted in their own conscience, they left. Could you imagine if you were standing there accusing somebody else, if Jesus was maybe to write, you know, um, you know for instance, um, thou shalt not steal Thou shalt not uh, covet, thou shalt not, right? If, can you imagine maybe he's writing the 10, I'm not saying he did, I'm just saying he was writing something in the sand that one by one they all started walking away. And I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking because the Bible tells us in so many places that Jesus knew their thoughts. Do you think maybe Jesus knew, I know what you're doing and I know what you're doing. And he's not condemning any of them, he just starts I don't know, you know, kind of like it was with Moses maybe, you know, writing in stone, writing in the ground, writing in the earth. You know, he's just scribbling on the ground. All, they, all of them start leaving. And when he rises up, he says, where are your accusers? They're gone. Neither do I condemn you. Why? Because that's not why God sent his son. Think about it. Our love for God, our love for one another, and taking that love to the world and not judging them according to what we've come to know, but rather being so grateful for what we've received from Christ that we just got to share it with everybody else around us so they too can be free from condemnation. Listen to it here, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, Darcy, if you want to come. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I love how it goes on, 317. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that if we believe in him, we'll have everlasting life. But look at this, 17, God did not send his son. Say, did not. Say it again, did not. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. That none should perish, but all come to 
everlasting life. It's a simpler way. And I think we've got to get back to the basics of the gospel because all the fringe subjects that we can study, and they're great. I love studying the Word of God. But all, all that, in a sense, all comes back to one thing. God loves every single person on this earth. He does not want any of them to perish, but he wants them to have everlasting life. So the manner in which we preach the good news is important. And here's what somebody told me years ago. Work really, really hard. Work really, really hard because when you start reading the law and the prophets and you do that, you start to see how righteous God is and you're trying to live for him and you start to actually look more like Jesus. Be careful that all of a sudden you don't take on the attitude of a Pharisee and start condemning people in their sin, but rather you offer them the gospel that they might be saved. So this is what he said. He said, work really, really hard. If you're going to work at something, work really, really hard at keeping the good news the good news. Because oftentimes people can get it and start delivering it like bad news to people. And, and for that, then they, then they feel condemned, see, rather than convicted to make that change and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. Can I get an amen in the house to that? Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? And I want to ask this morning, close your eyes, bow your heads, no one looking around. Because sometimes for people to make a choice, they don't need people watching them. They need God connecting with them. And I would remove all the fear of anybody else watching in this room that you would make a personal decision that should become public and will today if you decide personally to make a decision for Christ. The way you make it public is water baptism, so everybody will get to celebrate. But if you're in this room today, you know you have never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. And you know that God's been ringing your bell today to your core. I would ask today that you would lift your hand if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Thank you. Anybody else? Today is the day of salvation. The Bible says, do not harden your heart. In the day of provocation, when the Holy Spirit's convicting you, don't harden your heart toward it. Because no man has promised tomorrow and that God can come and he can dwell on the inside of you. Change your life forever. Because you move from this temporary life to an eternal one. You can put your hands down. I know who you are, so the whole church, we're going to pray this together in unity with them so that they can give their heart to Christ today. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. But I know Jesus came. I believe with my whole heart that his sacrifice on the cross paid for my sins so today God by your grace I receive Jesus Christ as my savior I turn from the old because today you make me new I am a new creation in Christ Jesus amen amen now let me pray for everybody yeah Hallelujah. Give them a hand clap. Now, here's the deal. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time in your life, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to seek out Pastor Warren, one of our staff, and let him know that you want to know more about water baptism. Because to be baptized in water is that, it's the public proclamation 
for everybody to know that you have you have taken that step to to follow Christ in your life amen well let me pray for the rest of you as we go today heavenly father I thank you for your people I pray that father this word is spoken to our hearts today I pray God that there is no condemnation that comes but rather father a deeper conviction a deeper love and joy to follow after you with our whole heart, to love you, God, with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourself, that by the love that we have for one another, Lord, that your love then can be shared, Lord God, with others around us that they too might come to know Jesus Christ as the Savior. Lord, not as a condemner, but as a Savior. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. God bless you. And I'll see you in a couple weeks. Pastor Warren will be kicking off our next series.